0: Welcome to Resilient Entrepreneurs, the podcast where we talk with entrepreneurs and business people from all walks of life and from all around the world, in the hope that something you hear will leave your business a little richer. Our guest today is the Impact Pilot, sales coach and founder of Jacobs Effect. Tom Jacobs has been an entrepreneur for 30 plus years and he definitely has had more failures than successes in his own words he says he wouldn't have it any other way that's such fun look tom sold his fitness business which he earned for nine years to become the impact pilot and that's what we're talking about today helping entrepreneurs generate more income through better sales strategy and using stories to sell this is going to be a hot conversation you might wonder where the pilot reference comes from well Tom holds a private pilot license for single-engine airplanes, which was a lifelong dream that he achieved in 2013, 10 years ago. Tom, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me. Wow, what a great intro. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and fascinating there seems like so many stories to pull out of there already so let's start at the beginning tell us your story where did you you get your start with entrepreneurship i read that you might have been a aspiring dj at a young age tell us a little bit about that start
1: Yeah, that's exactly two turntables and a mic i learned to rap like you know, nice. if anybody <laughs> knows old run dmc anyway that was not me but i did too do- of homecomings bar mitzvahs weddings when i was 16 years old is when i started that that business so it was a mobile dj and string quartet that i played play violin and so some of my high school buddies and i we formed a string quartet and so we offered our services to uh, businesses during the holidays and again for weddings and, and things like that one really interesting story about that I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but I discovered direct response marketing on my own. But of course, others stole that from me. Basically, I'm just you invented (laughs) it,
0: Tom. You invented it. I invented
1: it. Yeah, no, I don't want to say that. But you know, it was was interesting because I would go. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) the the godfather of direct response, not Dan Kennedy. It's Tom Jacobs. What I used to do is go through the Sunday newspaper. When there was a sunday newspaper and i would go through the wedding announcements or the engagement announcements and i would pull out all the bride's names and then i would go to this book called the white pages uh,
0: don't show your age now
1: that's right nobody knows what it is right and what's interesting about the white pages back then was that it had the full name address and phone number of everybody in town. So I would just look up the bride and I would send her a letter with a demo tape. And that's how I got clients for the mobile DJ and for the string quartet. I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but looking back, I was like, wow, that was pretty smart. Where do I learn that from? (laughs) That was my first foray into business at 16. And then I went on to uh, university. I still did DJ work while I was at university. But I studied Theater management—I always forget because it's been so long ago. But I studied <laughs> theater management. Really, did nothing in the theater after I graduated, except I produced a, a few plays in Chicago. But n- nothing just that could satisfy my two biggest habits in life, which are living inside and, and eating food. No, no jobs were offered me a sustainable income from for doing that. So I, I went into corporate work for 12 years and always had a side gig. So I always was doing some type of entrepreneurial things. I had uh, a blinds business, uh, shutters and blinds, just a bunch of different kind of random, it seemed like random things. And it wasn't until the fitness business, um, came about that, that, that I went all in on business once and for all. And, uh, so, you know, I quit my highly paid corporate job and opened up this fitness business. And within six months, I was just about broke. And, I was going to ask um, you how
0: those first two years went for you, and you just answered it.
1: Yeah, I didn't even make it two years. It was six months. <laughs> and I eventually came around, but it was at that six-month mark that I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I used to handle millions of dollars in budget for this oil and gas company and i can't even run a, a small business it was really demoralizing for me and that's when i when i was told that i should hire a coach i was like a oh, what what's that i, I don't need football ex, you know experience <laughs> oh a, a business coach what's that and so i ended up hiring a business coach and she's still my business coach to this day dude by the way um which is, is so awesome we're really good friends but have a great relationship Um, But it was through then that that I learned that I needed to know how to sell better. And that sales was really my Achilles heel. I didn't want to be pushy to anybody. I didn't want to be overbearing and and make somebody do something that they don't want to do. And of course, that's all the wrong mindset when Mm -hmm. it comes to selling. And it's the wrong mindset when you're selling a wellness product or health and wellness project, and that's kind of who I work with now or health and wellness practitioners. But it was through my own struggles that I was like, wait a second, this whole mindset of mine is wrong. And so I read a bunch of sales psychology books, I took some courses, and I put everything together and just started to come up with my own process to sell. And the second six months was a wonderful turnaround. Because the second year of business? I did four hundred thousand dollars of gross revenue. The first year, I only did a hundred, and just like barely, you know, making rent each month. So, mm. and it was only because of sales.
0: So you give the full credit of success in a business to being able to sell. I imagine
1: one hundred percent, and that's why I tell every new entrepreneur say, like, do whatever you can to learn how to sell. Because that is the number one skill that you need. And if, and even if you're not going to sell long term, you still need the skill so that you can train others to sell for you.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: So, what's the secret? Secret to selling is that it is a process. And once you have your process defined with the right questions that you're going to ask to create this collaborative conversation about how we're going to fix a problem, then you're going to be successful in sales. That's what I teach people now is don't think of yourself as a salesperson because that has some negative connotations to it, unfortunately, still to this day. But think of yourself as a problem solver. The people that are coming to you have a problem. They may or may not know that they have it, and they may or may not know that it's a big enough problem to spend a couple thousand dollars fixing, but that is your job, is to find out what the problem is and make sure that the prospect understands how large of a problem that is for them so that they can make an informed decision whether to purchase your your solution or not. Yeah, and That's it. So simple. It <laughs> is so
2: simple. And I like what you just said about collaborative conversation. Like it's, it's the collaborative part is nice. It feels a lot more uh, safe. Sales does feel icky. It feels icky and you feel like you are pestering people. And how many times do we need to reach someone before we make a sale? Because I think that's the part that confuses a lot of entrepreneurs. They think one marketing email should bring them all the sales, right?
1: If only, if only, right. (laughs) Or one direct response letter. With a demo tape, who we'll gets you a bunch of wedding gigs? Right now, you know, I so I operate a call center as well, where we do follow up uh, for for folks and lead follow up to book appointment. It takes on average ten attempts by phone or text to get somebody to respond after they've initially filled out a form online asking for a response. Isn't that crazy? That's just absolutely bananas to me. Ten and touches. that's
0: just to get them to respond, not to convert them to a sale. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, just to respond. Yeah. So you can have a conversation to then book an appointment and then to have the sales conversation. So you know, in today's age, like the whole idea of you know, build it and they will come is completely inaccurate. It's not gonna happen. It's not the field of dreams. You know, it's it's reality is that, you know, you have to do the work to get people to book an appointment, even even when they've raised up their hand and said, hey, I'm I'm kind of interested, but tell me more. And I did a study when I first started the uh, call center uh, and the appointment setting service where I called 100 fitness centers. And I just focused in on fitness centers because that's the world that I came out of and So we didn't call them. We filled out the form online of 100. And only 26 responded. And out of those 26, I think it was only like 13 responded by phone. And most of them, I think all except two, only called once. Well, I was busy that one time. Call me back. And it's and it's kind of like that. If you don't get a hold of that lead within 20 minutes of them filling out a form, they're cold. They're like ice cold. They won't even remember filling out the form when you go to book an appointment. And it's it's it's, it's crazy. And so, you know, our goal is to get to that lead within 20 minutes. And if they don't, then we're going to follow up with them 13 times over 30 days. And, you know, that's how we have such a good success rate in booking more appointments. That's that's the reality of sales. Oh.
0: So tell me, Tom, on the 13th time you've reached out to somebody and you and your team are not feeling like you're pestering them. You're just solving their problem and helping them see what a big problem it is because I'm with you on that. Yep. Yep. What kind of feedback do you get from the client? Is it a gee, I'm really glad that you persisted. This is so important to me. Or is it something in between? Help us with that because on the outside, it sounds like a pester, doesn't it?
1: It does a little bit, but we, we meter the, the call. So it's not every day for 30 days. So we sure. give a rest and it's, and it's very short interaction. So it might be a quick text or, you know, it's always a phone call, but, you know, usually one of two things will happen on on that 13th call one we don't get any response whatsoever we just expire um, or we do actually get people that have said oh my gosh thank you so much for following up with me I've been super busy or I had a death in the family or whatever happened in their life and they're like but I do want this please call me back because the, usually the last message that we send is hey I guess you're not interested anymore fixing this problem so we're going to close out your file at this time. And when, when doing follow-up, whether that's to get them to book the appointment, the sales appointment, or after the sales appointment to you know finalize the sale, it's always really important to keep having those little reminders to them. And at some point, just kind of give them a line in the sand and say, at this point, I guess the problem isn't that big enough for you. So we're going to stop chasing you down. And typically people will be like, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I want it now. And yeah.
2: But I, I mean,
1: we'll we'll get a few people that they'll say, you know, stop contacting me and use some choice words when we phone them up. Uh, I have recordings of those. Those are fun. <laughs> um, but but, but these are all warm leads coming in. They've all given their phone number, email and name and are expecting a phone call back, or they yeah, should be.
2: That's the difference. That's the difference that people need to understand. You're not just like picking a phone number, calling them and annoying them about a product that they're not at all interested in. This is huh. something that they've expressed interest in, and you're just trying to get them on to the next, to the sales call yeah. to make the sale. That makes a lot exactly. of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what yeah. do you use to collect your leads? What are, some, or what are some ways you recommend people collect those warm leads? Because I think that's a piece of the important piece of the sales puzzle too.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of lead generation companies will you know, do the lead generation, Google ads, Facebook ads, TikTok, you know, Instagram, all the different ways of getting leads in, and then they'll pull them into a system. Now we use a, a system called Lead Maximizer Pro. It is our white labeled version of the Go High Level uh, program that we've customized quite heavily to enable us to make more phone calls and book more appointments. But just a, a simple CRM, you know, it could be active campaign, it could be Keep, I mean, Infusionsoft, there's a number of them out there. But yeah, th- like, there needs to be something other than sticky notes <laughs> to, to keep track of the leads. Because you're going to need some type of system if you're going to be following up on a consistent and persistent basis to keep track of where people are in the, in the process.
2: Yeah, definitely. Another yeah. thing you say that I like um, is you incorporate storytelling into sales. Now, as a marketer, we incorporate a lot of storytelling and marketing. So what's the difference in sales? Like, how do you do that?
1: Generally, you have two stories. You have your own personal story. And that is meant to create that connection with your prospect so that they get to know like, and trust you, because those are the three things that you need in order to make a sale. Not so much on the like, they just need to know you and trust you for most most of the time. By telling your own personal story of why you're representing this product, why you started this business, why you're doing what you're doing right now is so important because we often forget, especially B2B or you know sales, that a lot of sales people think, well, this is a business why would I need to tell a story you know it's a business at the end of the day we're we're selling to people people sell to people human to human and to create that human connection story is the fastest and most effective way of creating that connection between two people and when you tell a personal story and it it could be it could be a tragedy which is where most people's minds go right is oh let me share my story, my rags to riches, my near-death experience, or whatever you know the story is. But you can also have the comedies as well. Oftentimes I'll talk about you know the day that I got my pilot's license and what a wonderful and yet traumatic day that, that that was for me. And other times in my life were first day of opening a new business. You know, it's like, oh, this is so exciting. And then six months of oh this really sucks. I want to get out of this business. You know, so you know, life is a roller coaster ride, and you can draw from any of those stories to create that connection with the prospect. So that's the first story to always have. And the second story that's very useful is testimonial or case studies of previous clients that you've helped, and having really good succinct stories that follow like the hero's journey, and that's the the framework that I always use for creating a a story as long as you follow that art and that process, you're going to create a really cool story that people are going to lean into and go, Oh my gosh. Oh, you did that with Susan. Well, gosh, if you did that with Susan, you could probably do that with me. I want to hire you. Right. So that's the power of those two stories.
0: Tom, um, you know, I want to know the pilot story, don't you? Of course. <laughs> so
1: the quick and dirty of it. So when you get your pilot's license, you Train with an instructor for 40 some odd hours, just as, as long as you progress. And then you have the FAA flight instructor or chief flight examiner, I believe they're called. So they then jump in the plane with you. And if they are ever touch the yoke, if they touch the yoke, you're an instant fail. And so this is so it's a little nerve wracking and they, and they have you take, go through different things. So I'm going through a procedure stalling the airplane and I wasn't doing it the proper way. And we almost went into a circle in a plane that shouldn't do a circle. The examiner was two seconds away from touching the yoke. And I was like, I, I just changed things real fast and then got control of the plane. And I was like, okay let's try that again. Yeah, it's like oh, uh, So almost like, you know, and, you know, spending nine months going through, a, a, you know, training and all that just to like, one second fail. Like, and
0: not to mention the fact that you might have rolled the plane and goodness knows what might happen out of that. Uh, yeah, you know, this <laughs> stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That was a slight distraction for me when you no said, uh, "Yeah, it was a squirrel, a squirrel moment." It's like, oh, yeah. there was drama around getting the on getting the pilot's license. I need to know what that is.
2: <laughs> and you, and you that's hooked actually, her in. You hooked her in, Tom. I love it. See, it's that's right. Well, color. that's
1: a that's a technique to use while storytelling as well is to leave something a little dangly, an open loop in people's head that they'll be like, "Wait a second, like, tell me more about that." And that's exactly like the reaction that you want when you're in a sales present. Oh, tell me more about that. Then, you know, you have the prospect like ready to buy.
0: Yeah. And what I love about it is it's so authentic. It's you, it's your own story. You know, even if you're telling a testimonial or case study, you're still involved in that story. And why don't we just want to be authentic with each other? And like you said, bring the humanity back into this whole process.
1: Absolutely. And you can't deny a story. It's really hard to tell us, oh, you're lying about that. Like, how rude would that be? (laughs) So versus giving facts and figures about your product or your service. Like, first of all, that's going to bore people to tears. And second, they can dispute it. They go like, well, show us the research on that. Like, I I really I want to look at this. With a story, it's true.
2: Yeah. And far more interesting, far Far more interesting. interesting.
0: What would your view be on using AI, artificial intelligence in the sales process?
1: I love it. What's AI? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Haven't heard of it in the last six months. So I love AI and it's one, it's not going to come back and it's not going to kill us all. It's not that smart. I don't think. But what it enables us to do is do things a lot faster. And so you combine a human with an AI, and now you can take your productivity and just like 10x it almost like overnight. In the sales process, I see AI in that initial follow-up process to get somebody booked for an appointment. So really good uses. I'm testing that out with uh, some, some of my, my own stuff. Uh, to see how well it books and interacts with the and it's just chat it's not voice so how does it interact does it ask the right questions and and learn uh, along the way so that is one aspect that's really cool and then content as well as, as the other that people are using quite a bit i don't suggest that people just take copy and paste exactly what ai gives you but rather ask it for outlines because that is oftentimes for a creative, especially for me, all I need is an outline, and then I can just riff on on an idea very quickly. But it takes me forever to figure out, like, what should I talk about on this video that I'm going to do? Well, I just go into AI and say, uh, give me 10 topics on sales. And i like, oh, yeah, this one. Oh, yeah, let me talk about that. Two seconds. Super easy.
2: Easy Eight. and very useful.
1: <laughs> yes
2: before we start the podcast uh we always love to ask our guests like where they are in the world because we find it fascinating um where people are living now in this new world we are all in vicky and i are on opposite sides of the planet um so tom tell us a little bit about where you are now because i think this actually speaks to a little bit of resilience because you Mm -hmm. were in the middle of traveling and then ended up covid shutting everything down so tell us a little bit about about you and where you are and how you got there
1: Yes, I am in Taipei, Taiwan. I've been here for three and a half years now. Um, I had never visited Taiwan before, let alone Taipei. I was living in the Philippines. In November of 2019, I moved to the Philippines to live there for... I was going to live there for a year, but then decided to move on, and I was going to go to Bangkok. And... In the transition time, I had booked some speaking engagements and some events I was going to attend in the U.S. Uh, for a couple of weeks. So I was going to go uh, Philippines, U.S. for two weeks and then fly and live in Bangkok. So on March 15th, I go to the airport, March 15th of 2020, go to the airport. I'm actually on the last flight out of Cebu, International Airport of Cebu, Philippines and because they were shutting it down because of covid and then i had a two-day layover in taipei and while i was on my wonderful two-day layover in taipei where did a lot of uh, ate a lot of really good food everything got shut down in the u.s all the events i was going to got canceled all my speaking engagements got canceled and i was at this cross point where i was like well do I go back to Houston wait this thing out for the 14 days that everybody's telling us that it's going to last or do I just kind of stay here for the 14 days and figure out how things go here i was like well it's so much more interesting here in taipei there's so much more to explore so i decided to stay in taipei i just canceled the rest of my my trip and found an airbnb for a little bit and then eventually got an apartment got residency and uh yeah it's crazy like living without a brick and mortar business because when I had the fitness business I had brick and mortar for for 10 years and yeah I like to travel but I wasn't able to as much as I am now and living in a location for you know 30 days 60 days 90 days gives you a completely different Aspect and, and idea of what that culture is all about because now you're living the culture. And it's so fascinating. I've learned so much about you know different cultures around the world. And and now I have my list of places that would love to retire, but I think I'm just going to retire here.
0: And travel for two or three months at a time to do each place. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, you're yeah, living the dream, man. You're living the dream. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to yeah, ask, what's yeah. the best
2: part about being an entrepreneur? But I think you've just answered it.
1: Boom, freedom. That was my answer. Yeah, definitely. You know, the freedom to live where you want, work when you want, you know, do what you want. That's To me, that's the true meaning of entrepreneurship. Unfortunately, a lot of entrepreneurs get into owning a job rather than owning a business and so that dream becomes a nightmare very quickly and that's what happened to me until I learned how to systemize my business so that it could run without me that's the first thing that every entrepreneur sh- the second thing every entrepreneur should do first is learn how to sell and second is systemize your business so that it can run without you tell us
0: more tell us more because yes yeah. we're on board with this yeah. and What was your secret to systemizing? Because you've systemized the sales and you've told us a bit about that. What about systemizing the business so it can run without you? You're obviously still supervising. You're still involved at some
1: level. I don't know where I heard this phrase, but trust and verify is kind of my management style. So I'm going to trust that my employees are going to do what they're supposed to do, but I'm also going to verify that it was actually done. And now with a process in place, and this is, I totally understand why, Entrepreneurs don't do this because it is quite a pain in their back end to identify and document every process in the business. And it really hit home for me when I owned the gym and I was traveling and my general manager called me once during our normal just check-in calls. And she was really upset with the trainers because they didn't know how to turn on the stereo. In the morning when they opened or the lights, like which lights to turn on, you know, for the, in you know, at five o'clock in the morning for the facility. I was like, huh, of course they don't know. There's no process on that. I said, well, we need to write a process. And as silly as a, of an example as that is, you really do need to, you're, you know, you're an opener. This is what you need to do. Go over to this light switch. You have a picture of it. And you show like which light switches need to be on. And then you show a picture of the stereo system and how, which buttons to press to get the music going. But what that's going to do for you now, instead of getting upset at employees for not knowing what to do, now you can go back to the process. You can manage the process and not the people. That becomes a much easier conversation when you're disciplining, disciplining somebody is going up to them and saying, Hey, I noticed that, you know, when you made this call, like you didn't tick these boxes and things like that. Was there an issue with the process that that we didn't document it right? And then usually you get this look on their face like, no, I just forgot to look at the process. Oh, okay. So what's our learning here then that I need to watch the process or I need to do the process to relearn the process. Okay, good. Well, here's a printout of the process. So <laughs> study it, put it in front of you at all times, and now you won't mess up again. And so that, you know, it becomes a much easier, like I said, much easier conversation to talk about the process instead of attacking people.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because managing employees is, is probably one of the things that uh, prevents a lot of entrepreneurs from taking that next step to really scale their business up. Because it's one thing managing your own life. It's a whole other thing when you've got to think about other people. And um, sometimes they just hesitate to do that. But if you think of it in terms of systems, in terms of processes, it makes it a little bit less scary, I think. And I like that. I like what you were just saying about it's about the process. And you can say, hey, is there a problem with the process? This is the process. Are you unclear about some part of this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a different response yeah. from the employee.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we have that now in the call center, too, because... I couldn't imagine like well, we have like 15, 16 employees. Like, every time that they have a question, come to me and ask, like you know, hit me up on Slack. Hey Tom, how do I do it? Just you know, close a business now. Like that <laughs> you know, if that happened, you would no business owner should be getting a how do I phone call at two o'clock in the morning or whenever, ever, right? Especially if they're on vacation, they should never get a how do I. And that's you know. As I'm creating in the different businesses that I've had, as I was creating documentation, I would set up either a paper or an electronic file called how do I? And every employee, they would have to, instead of coming to me and saying, Hey Tom, how do I? Just write it in that book and then I'll write a process on it, or we'll write a process together on it. So that becomes very easy to document what processes need to be done first is the ones that people keep asking the same question.
0: Mm, Gold, gold. Now, how long did it take you from starting your sales? Let's look at the uh, call center business. Yeah. How long did it take you from zero to now um, as far as getting those systems just so?
1: Yeah, well, because I I learned from past failures, which is part of resilience as well. I started with process. So, like from day one, every time I was teaching somebody to do something, I would do a screen recording of it. And then they would be responsible for documenting the process in a Word document. And then we, you know, transitioned that all online. So now the employees are able to go through and find stuff very easily. And you know, the the company that we got the the software from calls it the find and follow process and so you basically you find the process so we have to teach them how to find it and then we teach them how to follow it you do that one time and it doesn't matter what the process is they've learned now how to find and follow so it, Mm -hmm. it streamlines onboarding a new employee and when it costs you know a couple thousand dollars to onboard a new employee if you're not getting them up to speed really really fast you're just wasting money And one of the best ways is to show them how to find your processes and how to follow them. And then, you know, it's like giving somebody a loaf of bread or teaching them or fish or teaching them a fish. I forget the analogy, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. Teach them how to fish. You just don't want to give them the fish.
2: Oh, it makes so much sense. Just switching gears just a little bit, I'd love for you to hop back in a time machine and take yourself back to 18-year-old you. You've had some experience as an entrepreneur, had experience in marketing, right? You've learned a few lessons already, but now you're heading to university and your life's about to take a slightly different direction, but you don't know it yet. What advice Mm. would you like to go back and give that 18-year-old self?
1: I would tell 18-year-old me to say yes more. Yes to opportunities. Every time, think back what opportunities are missed. And oftentimes, we don't know what opportunities are missed because we're not looking for opportunities. So number one is to be very clear on what opportunities you're open to. And once you're clear in your head, and you just kind of you know picture, like I, I give the example when I was working with a lot of fitness trainers, like If they didn't have a premises already to train out of, I was like, well, envision what that looks like. Is it a storefront? Is it in a strip mall? Is it a standalone? Is it two story? Really visualize what you see your facility to look like. And once you've done that, now these opportunities will start to present themselves to you. Not that just by doing this and manifestation and all this woo woo stuff, that's not the case. It's just that now you're looking for it subconsciously, rather than just like, oh, if something happens, it happens. If you ever dreamt about a car or like buying or you've thought about buying a new car, you know, it's oh, I just I want to buy that new Audi that I just saw. And now all of a sudden, all you see are these new Audis, right? That's a that's a. RAS system, (laughs) reticular activation system in play because now you're open to those visualizations that you've already had you're just, your brain is just programmed so like knowing what opportunities that I'm looking for and what you know that five-year plan that 10-year plan and then as things happen it's just say yes you know as long as it's not stupid and illegal you know why not the the Thai I was living in Thailand for a little bit and the Thai have the same never try never know I think that's just beautiful. It's like, yeah, yeah, try something once. You know, if it doesn't kill you, don't try it again. If you don't like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a great saying. It's a, such a peaceful way of saying, never try, never know. It's you know, it's not yeah. forcing you to do anything, it's just leaving it open to you to consider. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. What positive influences do you have in your life, Tom, as far as favorite book, uh, someone you're following at the moment on podcasts?
1: a good question one of my favorite uh books and this is on sales as well is the introvert's edge to selling and it's uh matthew pillard he's a australian uh as well but living in the u.s and just it's it's i'm an introvert and when i read this book i was like Yes, that's me. I always use my introversion as an excuse why I couldn't be a really top salesperson. And, you know, this gave me permission now. This book it was like, no, uh, introverts actually make better salespeople than extroverts. Oh, Because tell. we, I know, we love to follow a process. And it doesn't matter if we're on or off we just follow the process. We just do the steps. You know, a lot of extroverted salespeople, you know, it's, I I was coaching one, one woman who's a extrovert salesperson. I forget her name, Sharon. Let's just say Sharon. You know, your, your numbers are quite low for outreach on Thursday and Friday of last week. Why is that? Oh, I just, my energy level was down. And I know that if I just made those calls, it would just be wasteful. So I'm just waiting for my energy level to come back up when I'm really outgoing. And I was like, oh, Lord, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Just make the calls. <laughs> and he says, like, what, uh, my energy? I was like, well, screw your energy, make the calls. That's your job. It's a process. Say the words that that are on the script and and just go through it. Why wait for the perfect moment to do something? And I think that's the advantage. You know, it's like the 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 tortoise and the hare. So the the tortoise is is the introvert and the hare is the extrovert.
0: I love hope I didn't upset any extroverts. Uh, I love that there's an advantage to being an introvert in sales. I think Laura and I yeah. are both resonating with this strongly. <laughs> great book recommendation thank you for that nothing
2: absolutely (laughs) so um of course tom we always ask everyone that comes on our podcast what does resilience mean to you how do you define it
1: i define uh resilience as getting back up when you when you fail and that ability and the more you fail, the better you get at getting up so it's it's just like working out you can't Work out one time and expect, you know, a six pack abs or whatever. You have to do it consistently. So if you're failing consistently, that's a good thing because you're teaching yourself how to get back up and you're teaching yourself what didn't work. So you can find what does work. One thing that bothers me to no end is somebody that is just paralyzed by fear to try new things because they fear that they're going to fail. Well, hundred percent of the, you know was... Wayne Gretzky, 100% of the shots that you don't take, you're going to lose. So take something. You're bound to be better off. And even if you lose, at least you'll learn something. Right. So for me, it's it, resilience is failing and then getting back up and trying to do that quickly, trying to do that quickly and more frequently.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And so many of our great guests have said the same thing. It's a really important thing for everyone to be reminded of. It's okay to fail. Don't fear failure. In fact, the faster you can fail, the faster you learn what not to do again, right? (laughs) And which we've talked about so much today is exactly that. Like, just keep going, keep getting back up, stay resilient because that's what makes amazing entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are the ones that really make change in this world. And we thank you, Tom, for doing your part to make change and help people not fear selling so much, get better at it, keep practicing, hey, as introverts have an advantage. I love knowing that. So thank you so much for sharing that. We'll definitely share um, your book in the show notes. So if anybody is interested in, in reading that book, any other you know, entrepreneurs out there who are introverts that are avoiding selling as much as they can, here we go, this is the book for you. So really appreciate it, Tom, um, you're amazing. And uh, thank you so much for your time and your energy today. It's been a great conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really love the conversation.